Okay, Sean, nice to meet you. The first thing people are going to want to know is how does a kid from Bermuda end up making it as a, a Premier League striker in England? You, know, you, you seem to have had quite an idyllic childhood in Bermuda, is that fair to say? Yes. Tight family yeah. unit. Yes, uh, growing up Bermuda was it was obviously beautiful. It, you know, the lifestyle and everything was was wonderful. But you know, for Bermuda kids uh, or kids in the Caribbean in particular, you know, you always wanted to have you're having this dream of wanting to play in England in the big leagues, and 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 I was no different. And for me, fortunate was the Man United actually came to Bermuda on a mid-season break, uh, and with them coming over. Um, it allowed them to see me in a game. In Bermuda, we have what you call a double header. Uh, it was two games. I was playing in the opening game. The main game was United playing against the national team uh, in the second game. But they had seen me play, offered me trials. Um, and lo, lo and behold, I, I was success, successful with the trials and was at United for two years um, uh, as, as a YT. So, yeah, beautiful time. What age were you when you came over for the trial? I was 18 up to up to 20 when I then moved on to Rotherham United. Uh, so yeah, it was, I, w- I was delighted because, you know, I was a kid that, that was able to reach his dreams by playing professional and, and then that's really the real journey and the hard work started. Now, when you went Manchester United, you did the trial and like you left behind your family, your, your girlfriend at the time, now your wife. Um, it must have been tough. Yes, it was. So you've done your research as well. Uh, yes, it was. I mean, my wife, we were boyfriend and girlfriend in, in school. So um, at the same time, when Christmas came around uh, or any sort of holidays, I, I didn't really want to be communicating with her because, you know, whenever you, I got on the phone and, and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, your aunt is here, your uncle's here, your cousin, your nana, your nephew, everybody was at the house. And, and so that used to make me feel even more homesick. Um, so... When Christmas or any sort of holidays came around, I, I, I did not want to, to, um, to be calling him. I, I'd do it either before, a few days before, uh, or a few days after. And when you did the trial, it, you didn't hear back from United for a pretty long time after that. It, did you think that the opportunity had passed? Well, yes, and I, and I realised that it, I come to find out that you needed to have played 12 international games. Uh, at the time, I had played... 11. Uh, and so what we got was the, the Premier in Bermuda had got in touch with um, the, the big leagues over this side and, and, and made it happen uh, because I was, I was that close to, to having the, the 12 games. Um, so it, w- it, was made, it was made to be. Um, and, and so I was pleased that, that that came about. But yes, it was the best part of four to five months in between um, whether I was going to come over or not. And when you did eventually become a, a United player, the first, it was quite early in Sir Alex Ferguson's reign. He just started, I think. And the first thing you did was ask him for a pay rise. How, how did that go for you? Because <laughs> you have done your research. <laughs> it seems like a very brave move. Well, the funny, it, it, was an easy, it was an easy thing to ask for because in... Coming from a, an amateur background and not knowing the protocols that you, that you have in, in the game, but I was actually earning more money in Bermuda um, as a see Bermuda is a, a high standard of living, so I was actually earning more money 
doing summer jobs than I was as a, as a YT player at United. And I just thought, is this what they get paid? Surely it can be. Um, so I conjured up enough guts, if you like, um, to, to, to go and ask. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm paying for a mortgage and, and this is less than what I actually get. And so Alex Ferguson had, had gave me uh, an increase. It was, it was a big increase. 40 pounds. Oof. <laughs> Massive. And at this time now, you, you were sort of palling around with Lee Sharp, which also was, could have been dangerous. <laughs> did, did he lead you astray at all in any way? He had quite the reputation as a bit of a party boy. Well, this was, again, we were, we were all young. And, and at this time, Lee was also in digs. And we were in the same dig, so, uh, along with three others. So our digs, we had quite a few lads there. Um, but on the weekends, um, I would typically go to Lee's house, um, and his family, his, his mother, Gail, and his father, Leo. So they were very welcoming. So every now and again, when all the kids would actually go off to home, I would, I would go back to Lee's. But in, in, in the early days, it was nothing. You weren't thinking about parties or anything like that because it was about trying to get in the first team. And, and Lee got into the first team. So he was ever so disciplined. Um, I wanted to stay there and knew the, the expectation and what was expected of him. So he was very disciplined, uh, in his, in his ways. Um, and I think you're probably talking more about later in his years. Uh, this was way after I had left United, but, um, yeah, he was very disciplined, certainly in his early years. And at what point did it become sort of apparent to you that you weren't going to get into the United first team? Uh, when I, when I sat in his office and he said, someone wants you and <laughs> you're not going to get in my team. All right. Fair enough. Um, but I needed that. And, and at that time, I didn't think so. I, you know, you're, you're a kid and you think you, you, you know it all. Um, you, you think you're better than what you are. And the reality was I did need to move down, um, to a level or two to, to get my more understanding of the game. So it was the right move for me to move on. Um, I was at Rotherham for, for six years and probably longer than I, I would have wanted yeah. uh, or was expected. But uh, it was the right thing for me to really adjust uh, to the English game. Would it be fair to say you, you didn't enjoy your early years at Rotherham, the, like the training regime? I, I saw there's a quote uh, from your book. The theory at Rotherham was that we weren't good enough to keep the ball, so we had to be fit enough to win it back. <laughs> And, and that was the philosophy probably amongst a lot of managers at, at that time and era. And that was, you're not good enough to keep it, so we're going to be fit enough to win it back. And, and so it was <laughs> almost twice a week you were doing these grueling physical sessions. And, you know, we're already sports sciences then. Um, at that time, when we needed them because, yeah, we, we done a, a, you know, a hell of a lot of physical work. And I, I remember every Monday we'd have a, a grueling session where, where players would be bringing up. Um, and I look at players today and I just think, you get nowhere near that uh, because, you know, they've got all the heart rate monitors and, and, and it's all done on their workload to make sure that they're not uh, overworking themselves so that they're ready for the game, which is the right way. Yeah. It does seem extraordinarily antiquated way of going about things. Like, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't even share the stories because it is so antiquated. that. Um, but that's what managers knew and that's what, you know... The, that's what players did because that's what we're asked of them and you got on with it and that that was the test in time of how much I really wanted to be a professional player was really asking me that question because you know again 
life was kind of good in Bermuda, um, but it didn't offer professional football. And I was, how much do you really want this? To know every Monday and not knowing how long that I have to go do these running sessions and, and, and be bringing up your guts. And it sort of makes you think like, is this what it's about for the rest of my career of playing? Um, but I, I stuck with it and, you know, it, it, it changed. You got two different, different teams. And I had, a, I still had some good years at Ed Rotherham because, uh, you know, some managers changed and, and we looked to play. Uh, but that's also thankful to the fans and, and they were also sort of demanding, uh, which prepared me for my later years as well. And while you were at Rotherham, were your, the people back home in Bermuda aware, like, would, would they be following your progress, following your career? Yeah, so there was no such thing as Twitter and Facebook and all of those things. But um, funny enough, my, my good friend uh, eventually be, be, became my agent. Well, he was working in Bermuda, and what we typically did was we used to get the games recorded and have them aired back in Bermuda. So Bermuda public can actually see them. Oh, okay. um, so Bermudians, were, they will be delayed, so they will be looking at last week's game, but it was a way in that Bermudians were able to see uh, what I was doing. So um, they, were, they, were, they were current, but not as current as knowing what, how I performed perhaps this weekend or, you know, as, as much as last week is what it was about. So does this mean there's kind of a load of middle-aged men wandering around Bermuda who support Rotherham? You know, is that their team? Or? Yeah, there'll be a fan base there. There'll be a fan base from... Oh, bizarre. From <laughs> um, you weren't particularly prolific goal scorer at those times. Uh, you know, you, you weren't getting 20-plus a season. So... What changed and when? Well, certainly in my first three seasons at Rotherham, uh, again, it was, I wasn't prolific. And I, I, if I'm honest, I think it was, a, it was adjusting to the whole culture. Uh, the lifestyle, it was, in, in terms of England, the weather, the physicality of the game, the pace of the game, uh, it was really adjusting. And this was, this was going into my fifth year of being in England. It, it really did take me that long to adjust. Uh, but my last three years at Rotherham, I was, I was always scoring 20, uh, around 24 to 26 goals in my last uh, three years at Rotherham. And that's when I became sis- consistent in scoring. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the early years at Rotherham were very difficult and challenging because, again, at United, you were asked to play. If, if a player was on you, you know, the ball was still given to you. At Rotherham, if it was a player near you, you wouldn't dare see the ball. <laughs> the coach would be saying, well, what you didn't give it to him? Is a man on him. Uh, so that the adjustment to that um, was hard, uh, along with with other parts of again the weather. Um, it used to, for me, I used to find it very difficult with the cold. Um, fingers and feet could not feel my feet were playing. So if you talk about you know something as simple as as chip a delicate ball, I can't feel my feet. And and footballers is all about the feel when you connect with the ball. And you know, playing, and you can't you can't feel if you're going to do a delicate chip or uh, a particular technique of of shooting. Uh, my feet felt like blocks of ice. <laughs> and you, you had your first Wembley experience with Rotherham, is that right? You won, and then there was a downer on the way home. You fell out with Archie Gemmell, the manager or joint manager, uh, and that kind of that was the end of your time there, wasn't it? Well, yes, that, that signal, because I, the last, again, the last three seasons, I was the top goal scorer and I was coming to the end of my contract looking at 
the potential of of an extended contract with an increase, but all was on offer was same terms but addition, uh, meaning another year or two, but the same same money. So I was thinking, well, I'm I'm the top and the top two goal scorers in the league. How <laughs> oh, you offer me the same terms? So uh, that that along with the the experience of uh, going home, I think it was it was a total miscommunication and. Uh, what had taken place, um, and it, it was another it was another point of me growing up in that uh, it was a situation that happened. I'm sure you know because you would have done your research, but it was a situation where uh, a car had gone cross, and the lads were making a bit of uh, noise in regards to the ladies who were driving the car. Um, show us, yeah, you know what? And he had come up the back of the coach thinking it was me that that had said it. Well pointed out just me and I said well it wasn't me that was saying that so with that when we got back um, I I felt it was a need for me to address it uh, and it, it was a real dampener on the whole way home because we had won yeah. we had won the trophy but I, I basically had saw him after and I said well you know one you've totally got it wrong and two I, I need you to apologize to me in front of the team because I think it was totally wrong uh, of what you were saying so with that, uh, the very next morning, we were all in. Uh, he got us all set down, and he had apologized to me. And so that was a growing point because um, I think it was somewhere around 24, 23, 24. Um, so it was a growing point that I could react in a whole different way and, and had to go back at him and been sacked yeah. for, for what I had said and, and done. But I, I, I think I handled it in a mature way. And, and, and asked him to, to apologize, and, and he done the right thing by apologizing. And, and since then, it, you know, we, we've moved on, uh, seeing him and, you know, speaking, say hello, and, and that's it. For me, it was just forgotten at that point. So you go to Bristol City then when you're replacing Andy Cole, basically. Uh, big boots to fill. Uh, was, was that, were you aware of the pressure or? Well, whenever you, no, not at all. Whenever you, because it was a level that I was familiar with. And, uh, you know, I was scoring 20, 20, 24 to 26 goals in the last three seasons. So, uh, and then seeing the, the, the chairman at the time, Scott Davison, he had said to me, he had spoken to several fans and, and he had asked them to write a list. It was about 10, 15 fans and said, who is your most wanted sort of forwards that you like? And my name came up on Olam's list as number one. So I knew that the fans were wanting me. And he pursued it to make it happen. Uh, so I knew that, you know, the fans were wanting me, and too, he wanted me as, as a chairman. And when you go somewhere, you, you know, when you know that your fans want you uh, and the chairman wants you, you're more than happy to, to oblige and, and provide them with, you know, give them that return. Uh, but yes, Andy Cole was there, and, and we know how prolific a, a player he was. Uh, but I, I just went in to perform and do exactly what I've done previously. And... In uh, the two seasons there, I was a top goal scorer and, and left on the on the uh, transfer deadline um, to Man City. So a beautiful time at, at Bristol City, really enjoyable. At this stage, you're sort of mid twenties. You've spent your career in the bottom two divisions. Were you happy with the way things were going, or frustrated that you weren't getting a chance at a bigger club or a higher level, or? What, what was your feeling at the time? Yeah, I was, I, I was frustrated within myself. I was thinking, why why is this opportunity not coming? Um, when, 
you know, for consecutive seasons, you know, two, three seasons, I'm in the top two goal scorers in my division. But players who are scoring less than me were moving and going to premiership teams at the time. Um, and so that was sort of like, what, what is it I'm doing or what is it I'm not doing um, to, to, to help me get that move? And it was at that point I just said, well, you know what, if it's going to be, it will be, just let it go. Just enjoy your football. And, and I, I went down with a clear sort of thought process at, at Bristol, just go and enjoy your football. And if this is where you're going to be, then this is where you're going to be, but enjoy being at this level. Yeah. And then uh, it, it happened in, into my second season at Bristol City. Yeah, and, and why do you think you weren't getting the opportunity? I think your agent and mate at the time, um, he wasn't particularly well connected, was he, in football, or am I wrong? No, no, you're correct. He, he wasn't uh, an agent as in around the football, yeah, yeah. football scene. But in terms of why not getting that, that, that opportunity, I don't know. I think it's, a, you know, I'm a believer that, you know, if you score goals and you're a regular, consistent goal, goal scorer, at League Two, I feel that player, given the opportunity, will score goals in League One, and because all you need is, to, is time to adjust, and the same will happen in, in the Championship once you have time to adjust to the league. Because a goal scorer is a goal scorer; they know they know how to find a goal, they know where to be, depending on the type of goal scorer they are, um, and they just need that time to settle in and adjust to to the league, the level, the players that, that they're playing with. Who are the players that can provide them with those opportunities um, and the demands in, the, in those leagues? And I think, um, yeah, sometimes there's a lot of players you can see. Uh, you see scoring goals and you think, well, that, that player they can play at a high level. But it's about who, is, who can be brave as, as, as a manager that would say, well, I see he scores goals maybe two levels below, you know, where I am as, as, as a manager. It may be even a championship manager that says, well, I don't know. It's 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 League Two. A goal scorer for me is a goal scorer, and I think with time, he'll be he can be a goal scorer in the Championship and 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 so forth with uh, with the Premiership as well. When you went to City, uh, they were basically in a tailspin, heading towards Armageddon. Did did <laughs> how quickly did it come for you to realise that this may not have been a very wise move? Well, I always believed in myself it was the right move, but I, right. I, I got a quick reminder that perhaps it was, was it the right move? Was my, because again, I was playing with Bristol City and, and Bristol City had got, was doing well to get promoted. And so the team was full of confidence and playing well and, you know, we were sort of dominating games. And then I came to City where the confidence was low, fans were booing players. Um, at the training ground as well, I believe. At, at the training ground. And my wife came and she, she, she just watched like two games and she just went, this team's rubbish. <laughs> and, and I said to her, this is definitely the right move. But what she saw was a team that lacked confidence, lacked, lacked belief because fans were getting on the players' backs. And so therefore players were playing well within themselves. And, and in my first, I mean, I came in a deadline. So I had seven games. Uh, it was seven games to sort of revive and, and try to avoid relegation. Just City were in the second division at this stage, uh, heading towards the third. Correct, yeah. Uh, and so it was a case of, um, you know, trying to, to, to avoid, that, avoid that drop. And, uh, yeah, we have fans, fans 
come into the training ground and they would sit, park the car, have the lunch and shout, you're rubbish, you're useless. And, and it was just, but, you know, Will Donaghy, um, Juro at the time, I think they were, they were brilliant because they realized they had to make some changes and, and, and they did. Not, and I don't mean necessarily with players, such things as we will, we will be getting booed in warm up. So we used to get in, we used to get in a little minibus and we used to drive to a school two minutes away. And we used to warm up in his, in his school, uh, gym. Uh, it's, it, it's amazing. Before a game. Before a game. And then we'd come out, uh, we'd come out and you put your boots on and you had to get your foot were right when you came out because you really only had two, three minutes to adjust to the pitch and then you start the game. You, you kind of have to admire someone who will go so far as to like drive to the training ground at lunchtime just to go to the trouble of booing a team. It's a kind of, well, they're obviously a bit bonkers, but, you know, that is dedication, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we represent, you know, their hometown, their team, their manner. And if we're not performing and producing, this is, this is what, what we get. And this is, this is how fans feel. Uh, and they want to show that. And, and they have that capability to, to be able to stand nearby, um, have a bit of lunch and, and, and say, you, you know, we're useless. And, you know, I could only assume they were our fans because they were booing us when we warmed up. But in, in saying that, they could have well have been United fans. But in, in, in saying that, again, it built a layer of, of thickness, you know, going through that time, going through that, that period. You know, all the players are going through that. Um, and it allowed us to come out, I think, certainly as stronger players, um, really experiencing the, the, the dark side of the game. Um, but also knowing that um, with hard work, there's, there's another side to the game and, and some of us were able to, to achieve that. So City, this massive club, find themselves in the ter- third tier of English football and then you're part of the team that lost, uh, sorry to remind you, this, the famous game against Mansfield in the, uh, the Auto Windscreens Trophy at home, That's, which is basically a club nadir. It, it's... It, Manchester City was hit rock bottom there. What what was confidence like at that point? And I presume like you were the biggest scalp in the division, so every team was really trying it really hard against you. Yes, every team. I mean, you, you mentioned there about Mansfield, and I also remember you know playing against Lincoln. Yeah, we, we did play against Lincoln, and we lost at Lincoln. And I remember their fans ran on the field. You thought it was to to win the FA FA Cup how they run on the field. And th- that's when it dawned on me that every team we play, it's, it's the biggest game for them. And, and so, again, losing, losing to Mansfield was, was another one of those games that, you know, who would have thought of, you know, Mansfield uh, beating uh, a Man City? But we, we were low on confidence. There was, uh, you know, no real belief within the players. Um, there, was always, there was always hard work, but the belief within our own selves and our abilities just wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and then that year, the, the famous playoff final against Gillingham. Gillingham were 2-0 up, eight minutes left. Yeah, it's amazing because you're, you're sitting, as the game is going on, there, were, there was this brief period. We're sitting after they scored the second goal, and, and for me that brief period was, after the balls, after they've scored and we're walking back to centre, all this hard work we put in this season is, is going to waste. And the, so that negative thought is coming to my mind at that particular time. And I had, I had been 
doing sports psychology. And so I knew with that, I had to use my tools to, to stop myself from thinking that. Uh, so immediately ran into sort of positive stuff. Um, and we got, we got on with the game. And, and Kevin Horlock had scored probably about a minute after he sent it off or so. And at that time, it was like, come on, the, the injury, the, sorry, the, um, the time went up for injury time of another four minutes, five minutes, I believe it was. And from there, it seemed like that's more than enough time to, to get a, to get an equalizer. Uh, and, and the crowd gave this, this great big roar. It's almost like they, they came onto the field and they, they sort of like ushered everybody less. We're going to suck this ball into the goal. Uh, but the belief, uh, became more and more. And, you know, it was a ball that was, a ball that was given through to me. I believe it was from Kevin Ola. And I've gone to shoot and, and the defenders put a great challenge on and it's deflected to Paul. And to this day, I tell Paul I was passing it to him. Deflected to Paul Dickoff and, and he hits it. And as he hits it, the oncoming defender gets, well, it just deflects off him. And with that, it just takes it over the goalkeeper. He's, and when that ball goes in, I'm just thinking, you little beauty. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love you. So we scored the equalizer. And at that point, uh, we're just thinking, okay, let's get to the end of this because we're going to extra time. Once we get an extra time, as no one could have told me it would have went to penalties. I would have said, we will win this game within the, within the extra time. Uh, we were strong throughout. Uh, they managed, you know, credit to them. They managed to hold on because we had such belief at that time. Uh, and then it went to, went to penalties. And, and I was the, uh, the fifth penalty taker. Um, and I think Reeves knew. So Reeves said, I, I got to pull off a couple of saves. <laughs> <laughs> he heard the order, the penalty. So, um, oh, yeah, Nicky Weaver pulled off the penalty and it was brilliant. I mean, I mean, there's been some great playoff finals, but that's, that's one of the classics, isn't it? You know, yeah. it was, was it a career highlight for you or just an absolute, you know, Relief because of our journey at City is a, is a few highlights. You know, obviously Blackburn, uh, beating Blackburn to go back to the Premiership, uh, but that game also is a highlight because, again, that was the you know the first time getting to the Premiership, um, and so it was it was huge. It was a huge 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 game for us. Um, in your autobiography, you say it took a while for the City fans kind of warm to you and you ended up having to like copy some of Paul Dickov's tricks of running around industriously to, to you know yeah. uh, get them out even though you were scoring lots of goals but um, when, when did you first become aware of the famous feed the goal chant who we were playing against maybe in Fulham at home and it was only then uh, a couple times people were saying yeah you heard a song about you song, and I'm like uh, because Again, I was doing sports psychology, and part of my thing was, you know, I had the saying of no crowd, there's no chairs, there's no booze. So basically, if I'd done something good, I didn't hear them. If I'd done something bad, I didn't hear them. Um, so I was sort of in this game zone um, because you had to get in a state of blocking the crowd out because, again, you have to remember the, the amount of booze that you'll get, it, it could affect your whole game. Yeah. Um, so I think it may have been a Fulham game, and I end up... Uh, scoring a hat-trick and, I, and I, I clearly heard them and I was thinking oh, they're singing about me <laughs> uh, they're singing about me oh right feed the ghost oh yeah I'm having that and I think that was the time and I thought well showing you you know for me in my own sort of space and time set off by myself it was like 
you've come some way because now they're singing about you. Um, they're singing about you, so you must be doing something right. And, and at the same time, it was like, but don't get carried away, mate, because, you know, you've come a long way. You've got to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, after 11 years, you, you stepped out for your first Premier League game. How did that feel? Was it like, I have arrived, I am a proper professional footballer, or was, did you just take in your stride? Well, you want to. You, you want to um, be all calm about it. You know, yeah, I've been here before, but there's, there's a lot of nerves, there's a lot of nerves before the game. Um, it's nerves as you're walking on the pitch, but the nerves go once the game starts, you know, because that's, that's your normality. That's, your, that's where you belong. That's, that's what you do. Uh, so that's where the, the calmness starts to settle in when, when the game, the whistle goes and, and the game is kicked off. Uh, but yeah, prior to the game, there's, there's nerves because you, yeah, you know, it's something you, you dreamt of. Uh, I, I dreamt of in Bermuda saying, yeah, I would like to play at the highest level. And, and that was the day of achieving that. So your season frame, City went down again and, uh, Joe Royal was handed his P45. And Kevin Keegan came in. Would it be fair to say you're not Kevin Keegan's biggest fan? I didn't think that when he came. I was delighted because I was sitting there thinking, one, top striker for England, um, uh, respected coach, manager, uh, also had managed England. So for me, it was like my stock was rising to be managed under a manager like this. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was truly excited about it to think, what is it that I can learn from, from Kevin Keegan as a, a, a top striker uh, and as a, as a top manager? Well, he, he worked more on, on defence than attack, which I, seems strange, but... I, I wouldn't say he worked more on defence. Well, Keegan was, was an open... from the front, if you know. Uh, he, he was an open... He was about, you know, we, we score five and, and they'll score three, so we'll win the game. So his philosophy was everyone on the, on the field should want the ball. Um, and something that, that I believe in. Um, so he wanted all his players to want the ball, to, to play out from the back and, and to create opportunities. Um, but, um, I, I, you know, I, I came to find out that, so as time went on, I, you know, he was, he was looking at perhaps trying to offload me, but, I was I was the top goal scorer, so, so it was it was the fans, I suppose, that was making noise, I guess, to to, to board members yeah. or board members saying, "Well, he's our top goal scorer. You know, why are we letting him go until we perhaps get ourselves where we need to be?" And then then look at that. So there, there was, I suppose, some pressure outside of me, you know me scoring goals and fans and and board members that were saying, "No, perhaps we need to keep Sean." And so. So you got back to the Premier League and then there was sort of the last season at Main Road. You captained the side for the last home game. You scored twice in the final derby against Manchester United at Main Road. It must have been a, a special year for you, was it? Or were you a bit fed up that things weren't going so well with, with Mr Keegan? Yeah, it was, it was bittersweet because, again, you talk about highlights is... You know, being being the captain of the team in the last ever game at Main Road, you know that that was that was an emotional day because it meant a lot for me to be captain, and it for me it showed just how long, how far I've come in terms of uh, to be seen as 
to be the captain with with my journey and how the fans initially were. Uh, so so that was quite emotional and enjoyable. I was proud of that. Um, but at the same time, I also knew that I was on my way out, and not through me wanting to 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 go out, but because I knew no matter what I was capable of achieving or doing, I was never going to be uh, in the team because of how I done, um, because the manager had other plans. Um, Matt, you had a very successful career, and you did well with City. But City have had better players than you. They, they have better players than you now, and yet you're held in the highest of regard by the fans. What? Why do you think that is? I mean, the, you're probably among the most loved City players in in history. It's it's a mixture of things, and it, it it's a mixture of things. One, I think, is is my journey with the fans. And when I came, I initially wasn't wasn't loved or liked as a player, but I won that battle and they come to see and understand me as a player. I think I never changed in the impression that I was in that I always had time to, to give an autograph and have a photo and have a chat. And I think, you know, even 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 though getting stick and all of those sort of things, if people if fans will look at it from the peripheral and say, Do you know what, we we've just been hammering today and look at him, he's still signing an autograph, he's still smiling for a photo and, and that, that hasn't that hasn't changed. And I think is those things there that the fans look at and say, well, he's produced it on the field and off the field. You know, he's, he's, he's humble and he's approachable and um, he's a spy. So uh, he's number one for me. It, it, it's, I think it's those, those are the reasons why they, they hold me in such esteem. And the city you joined couldn't be more different from the, the city we see here today. What, what, what do you make of all that, the, the money that's been pumped in? Uh, as a fan, obviously the success must please you. Do you, do you think, though, maybe it's lost a bit of its soul, the, the club? Or? Well, it can't because I'm, I'm battling. I mean, currently I'm battling with this thing of, you know, who do you support? you got, you got City first team, you got the City ladies team, you got City in New York, and, and it's almost like you can... You know, normally you have one team you support and you give everything for that one team. And and so I'm I'm sat at home thinking, like what well, we how far how far can you stretch your support? Um how far can you you know stretch that support? So I I think it's great. I think it's great, you know, because we'd have never seen in certainly in my time or, or earlier earlier years to to me playing that city will be where it is and have the the the, the top world-class players that, that it has. Um, I'd like to hope and think that with having these top world-class players that we get the balance right of the kids that come through get an opportunity because that's the part there that I think so, that we shouldn't miss and that I suppose, you know, it, it, it needs to be made noise about because it's all right by any top world-class players um, but I haven't spent a lot of time looking at some of the academy players and some of them are uh, of decent quality. And if, and if they're, they're not really going to get a chance, it makes you think, well, what is the, the, academy, the academy for? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, I look at the, you know, the City fans. I know that they would love to have one or two players that are from around, around these parts. And there is, there is young kids in the academy, but... I don't know will they ever get in the first team, and that's that's the, that's the downside to all the success that, that the club is having. Uh, but 
you know, I'm probably talking about both sides of my mouth with him, <laughs> you know, by saying that this is great that we have Aguero and Yaya and David Silver and company and, and these top world-class players. And, and I'm, I'm always like, yes, more of it, more of it, because I sit and do commentary and watch these teams, you know, watch the games and watch these teams come here and think they can't live with us. This is so great to watch. It's so great to see this, this high level of football. Um, but then I go around the academy and I watch and I think, this is really good, this is good quality. And then I go, well, he, he's played one game, you know, or this kid is just not in around the squad. And that's, that's another side to it. So, um, I don't know. I mean, that people get paid big bucks to make those decisions and balance that stuff. That's not me, <laughs> but it'll be, it'll be good to see the one or two young players, uh, get opportunities and sustain opportunities. Uh, but, that's that's the conundrum that you know city find itself in but it's not a bad one to be in how how would sean golder in his pomp have got on in a team up front with aguero and silva and yaya Torre playing through the middle do you think he'd have done okay yeah easily and I, I i'm not an arrogant person i say that because in the city team what you do know is you will get a chance as a forward and Forwards being forwards, somewhere along the line, put put them away, um, and I, and that's the great thing about playing for for City, in that you know if you got Sil- David Silver and Yaya Torre, um, you know Fernandinho and Navas and Milner and th- these sort of players, you're going to get opportunities. And my my best spell, or certainly, you know two, three years at City, I knew I was getting opportunities playing with players like Ali, Bonav- Ali Bonavia, Al Brakovic. I was sleeping like a baby because I knew I would get opportunities and, and that's what we have. And, you know, our forwards, uh, they couldn't be in, in a better team. They just know there's opportunities there. Um, after leaving City, you had spells at Reading and End, and then called it a day. Um, what, what have you been doing since? Well, I actually went back to Bermuda for seven years, but since then got involved in a couple of businesses. But in the last two years, I've moved back here uh, with a real interest and desire to to improve uh, my knowledge of the game, but to get involved from a coaching, get into coaching and management. Um, and so I've been involved with uh, doing a bit with uh, Doncaster, helping out with the forwards there, Paul Dickoff. Uh, really, really enjoy that. Um, I've also... Do a bit of coaching uh, a couple of days a week at uh, Stadium Bridge uh, under 18s. Um, involved with that, and and every now and again I'm doing different different media stuff, um, not only here but but overseas. But the real sort of desire is to is to get on the pitch, coaching uh, coaching youngsters and uh, and eventually management. Right, and are you doing badges or have you done them? Or? Yeah, I've just got the uh, the final assessment for the A license, so. I've uh, been doing that over the, the past few years um, whilst I was uh, in Bermuda coming back uh, to to make sure I complete that. It's difficult. There's a lot of work involved, I believe. It is. It is. It's, you, you put on, um, you have to go back and do sort of like 20, 20 sessions, um, do some theory to it, um, send in a video of, video clips of your sessions. So it's, it's quite quite detailed in, in what's expected of you. Um, but I, I feel as you're right. It, it makes you, um, it assures that you're ready to, to have earned it. Yeah. Um, uh, similar to driving, driving, driving lessons and driving tests. 
um, it, you know, when someone passes, you, you know that they're capable of handling the road and handling a vehicle. Five tests I did. Five driving tests. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> um, away from football, am I right in thinking you, you've never been a drinker? Is, is there any particular reason for that or just... Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, all the clubs I've been at, the lads always loved it because they thought, well, we've always got one designated lad who could make sure we get home safe. <laughs> and, and the one person they didn't want to see the next day in training was me. I don't want to know what I've done. Ah, yes. But it, it, the culture's changed. And so I suppose now if you go into, into clubs and, and perhaps done a survey, you'd probably find there's probably half a dozen, you know, in a squad of 25, you know, three or four that's, that's non-drinkers uh, or, or, or choose to, to drink very little because the demands of the, of the players and the game. But uh, in, in my time of playing... Um, it was only myself, but I remember even a period when um, when Andy Morrison had, had stopped. Uh, I settled down, and we had the Christmas the Christmas dinner, and I and I thought, well, Andy, <laughs> Andy's not Andy's not drinking, and Andy's um, hanging about with me, and I thought, Andy, you're making my night absolutely boring. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I'm having a good laugh at everybody being pissed, but <laughs> but uh, in in the end, um, he, he done well, and he stuck to his things, but uh, yeah. I, I think today it's, it's the norm that more and more players, you know, I wouldn't say they're not drinkers, but they, they don't drink as much. They probably have the, the glass of wine as opposed to get lathered in, in the years gone by. Do you not find it really boring being sober in the company of people who aren't sober? Because they're just talking rubbish and shouting and repeating themselves. That, that's always been my experience. Well, that... I find that to be very humorous. <laughs> I thought, I'm up. I said, it'll be a good laugh. It'll be a good laugh this evening watching so and so and so and so. Um, you know, when they get a bit bit lathered. But yeah, those, those days are certainly uh, some days of the past. Yeah. Do they do, do they still have Sean Goater Day in Bermuda? Is that an annual event or was it a one-off? I know they had one. Was it in June 2000? I think. Well, you look forward to that day coming soon. June 21st, uh, we were looking at doing, doing some things here. So, um, okay. But yeah, I was on it on June 21st uh, as Sean got a day. And it was, it was brilliant. He had a motorcade. Um, yeah, nice little motorcade. Uh, and, you know, I was thinking myself, like, when I was, it was actually on June uh, of 2000, June 21st, 21st of 2000, and I was going back home to Bermuda, and I wanted to just ease into the country. But the... Uh, the, the government at the time wanted to make a big fuss and, and, and make some noise and uh, so they put on this this big um, beat made this big deal about it and uh, so yeah I, I was on it with that so very pleased it must have been surreal was it yes because I'm a humble person I'm thinking <laughs> okay well for me you know every day is Sean Gurda day <laughs> but uh, yeah we could we could put the stamp on there. And like, what did, what did your wife make of that? Is she just making fun of you, or, or quite honoured, or it, it just must be bizarre. No, she she's honoured, uh, but in, but inside is is, is Mrs. Goda's day. <laughs> I'm the one doing all the cracking. <laughs> and you've uh, been recognised by by the Queen over here, and you've met her to got your MBE. Uh, it must have been a bit odd pitching up at. Buckingham Palace, you know, having say arrived on the plane from when you were eighteen, did did you ever think you'd see the day? Or? Yeah, I mean that 
No, that, that story stems to similar story with me being in, in Bermuda. I, my house, in fact, in Bermuda, I, I'll answer that. My house in Bermuda was on the boundary of the government house. And so when I was a kid, I used to always run through the woods to try to go into the grounds. And so years later, I was invited several times to the governor's house. Um, so this is similar, you know, um, no, my, my house isn't on the boundary of the Koreans uh, of Buckingham Palace, but to, to have the, the privilege, the honor to, of receiving the MBE um, for my services of giving back to football in Bermuda uh, was, was special. So thoroughly enjoyed it. And final question, I should have asked you earlier, but uh, your mum was a good footballer. So is, is that where the genes came from? Without doubt. She's... Um, Huge. They had a ladies' team. Uh, she used to work in the hotel in Bermuda years ago called Bermudiana, and they called the team Bermudiana Cosmos, obviously from the, the football team, the Cosmos. So she was huge in football. Uh, she always take me uh, two games. I used to always go watch, watch her play. So from there, that's where it really came from, the, the love of the game. And, um, and it's funny because when I used to go, when I was sort of like nine and ten and playing for my school team, and I'd play in... And score a couple of goals. Say, oh, mom, I scored like four goals. She's like, you could have scored seven. <laughs> right, <laughs> I was like, so steady. <laughs> she, she was your biggest critic <laughs> yes. after Kevin Keegan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Sean. Well, thank you very much for your time. I've got to shake your hand now. I'm slightly concerned so my fingers are going to break yeah, off because they're so cold. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, thanks a lot. It's been a really nice chat.